We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're here. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with old man Andres Hill, chilling in his crib. I'm in mine. Shout out to producer Cole Bebe, who's here with us as well in his little fancy gaming chair with the, with the acoustic guitar and the electric behind him. And somewhere in that same vicinity are my DCs. So the, the man is is flaunting Maybe them they'll about. Maybe make an appearance later. <laughs> just, just teasing me on social media. Um, wished me a happy birthday the other day. And it was literally just a photo of my DCs. Just the man is a savage. So producer Cole Bebe, I wish you and your Boston Celtics nothing but the worst of luck. Guy. Keep I doing it. It's working. I, I guess I should root for them. Everyone says I'm the jinx. So if I pulled for the Celtics, they would lose. But uh, only if they make the finals. Then I'll reverse psychology. I'll put some money down on them or something. Oh. Just to, to, to break your heart in that way. Old man, what up with you? It feels like it's been been a quick second. You've been busy as well, running around. Father of two. So always, always busy now. Um, yep. Yep. I had, had the, the Triller card last week and family stuff to take care of. But uh, we back. We back. The, the ship don't stop. Fun story. Uh, it, it's it's taken us a while to get the pod out because Dre was still at the Triller event the whole time. He's just he was trapped there. They wouldn't let him go. He couldn't leave. Uh, they were Yo, waiting that for was boxing the- gloves. They were waiting for listen, the boxing listen. gloves to arrive for four days, and Dre was stuck. <laughs> no, listen, which I mean, yeah, we probably won't go too deep on this on the on our boxing show next week, but uh, that was the longest card I've, I feel like I've ever been a part of. Even though it still started at six o'clock, like usually long boxing cards start at three p.m. Eastern. I mean Pacific instead of six p.m. Pacific. But that glove issue, it and the 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 two main and the co-main going the distance. It is the first time in, yeah, aside from the one fight where I left early because my wife went to the hospital uh, for Canelo and Khan. I left that fight early, didn't see uh, Khan get his the brakes beat off him. This was the first time that I was just like, I was fed up in like the 11th round of the Kovalev fight, and I left. 
<laughs> I was like, I'm done. I'm out I just here. left. You only I couldn't take it anymore. To go. It was two more. I rounds. folded. Uh, I was looking because, you know, it was at the forum in my uh, hotel. I was at the Triller Hotel, which is by the airport. Had a 6 a.m. flight. It was like almost midnight. And I was looking at the people that were still left. And I was like, they're probably going to Uber out of here. Let me get the fuck out of here before these people try some of these Uber prices go up. Like, let me get out of here. So at the 11th round started, I was like, Kovalev is not getting the knockout. I folded up my laptop and I was like, I'm out. I'm leaving. I'll just watch the rest of it off of the fight app. And I watched the rest of the fight on my way back to the hotel. Damn shame. It took forever. So I can't even can't even knock it. The crowd was so whack for the verses. Not into it at all. They got some work to do, man. It's it's a great idea, right? Like versus is a great idea. The fights are a great idea. But my argument is always going to be like, well, who that's coming to watch Kovalev wants to watch Onyx and Cypress Hill do battle? Like, make it make sense. Yep. Fight Nick, that makes sense. <laughs> we're going to put acts that go together with the artists. Like, we're going to have... If we acts could, and Pat ass, Beverly baby. Acts and ass. Yeah. Pat Beverly versus Chris Paul. And then you do a, a versus, right? And you do a versus with some rowdy ass. I don't care. Some acts that make sense. Yeah. Trilogy. We can get Blueface to fight. He fights, right? We get Blueface. All that. Have him fight an Atlanta yeah. rapper. He got beef with somebody. There's things to do, man. Pat Bev and Chris Paul got to throw hands. Let us do that. <laughs> this is where we're at. <laughs> fight man. Nick hosted. NBA is putting out the immediate cease and desist to, to all fight Nick events. We booked that fight. Yeah, it's, that's not, not good at all. But, um, yeah, man, so I'm glad you, you made your way back from the Triller card, which was an adventure in itself. We had, man, I'm trying to think because I was gone for the week and I was in Mexico for my birthday. Um, while also like randomly during that dealing with a bunch of family shit. So it was like the busiest birthday I've ever had. Um, but it Mexico was dope. It was cool. First day I refused to drink tequila. Dre then berated me in our group chat. Shout out to the reverse rat pack. And I drank tequila on days two and three. Yeah, uh, you know. I, you know, there's one answer to that. I'm not going to drink tequila. All I got to say is bitch. And yeah, Kel's going to go drink some tequila. Drink up, sir. Drink up. Man, you can't yeah. be scared of tequila. Were you all right? Did you black out? I blacked out know? at the end of the night, but I was in the room already. Like, I didn't black out. Like, I'm more passed went, out than anything. You went to sleep. Yes, I was out. Okay. But right. usually I black out and I'm roaming around still like functioning. And that's never good. Because then the next day I'm no. just like, oh, what happened? Um, no, no, no. There was barely any people at this resort. It was great. Went like Tuesday through Thursday. So it kind of felt like we had the whole thing to ourselves. People started showing up Thursday because like some, some guy who owns the third biggest payday loan company in America was getting married and bought out the entire resort except for four rooms. And we happened to be in one of those four rooms. So, like, wow. his whole wedding party came through. This shit was crazy. Um, if I would have stayed one more day, I would have did the full wedding crashers joint. <laughs> like, the entire, <laughs> entire thing. It was a, a Jewish wedding. Israeli Jewish family of friends. Yeah, from Brooklyn. Hmm. So, those people, he, he has stores in Brooklyn. I talked to mad people. Brooklyn, Boston. So, all through New York City, Boston, and some, and, uh, randomly in texas so 
like people from all three crews came out. It was like a, a weird combination. And then his whole family was like um, Israeli Jewish. So it was, it was cool. Got to talk to random ass people. And yeah, that there's levels to the money people have. His his money was crazy. They they put a stage, yeah. they they concocted a stage on top of the main pool, shut the whole pool down and built that shit. Like had 20 workers building a stage for a reception. You know how they did that, right? You know how they did that? By charging like 38% interest on those loans, right? <laughs> like <laughs> straight predatory loans is paying for everything, man. It's, it's horrible. We can't he's do that, but predatory something. loans is eating us up. Yeah. Yo, it should be a crime. It should be. He's making out like a bandit. It was all inclusive. They, <laughs> I knew he had dough and he was rich because the wedding planner like was roaming the, the little joint as they were setting it up. They had specific, and you could see them, they were open up boxes for the rehearsal dinner. Rehearsal dinner was for everybody, by the way. But they opened up custom chairs and put them together, flew in flower bouquets out of boxes and put them together. Everything was flown in. Nothing was from the property. Broke all that shit down. It was gone the next day. They brought in new chairs for the wedding reception. And my butt, like everything was different. I was like, oh, this guy's just blowing money fast. That's like impressive. He, he out here just chilling. And his his people were wild. That dude is wild. Like so his employees had crazy ass stories. I was like, yo, I don't I don't know if this guy should be getting married right now. But best of luck to him. And, and to the missus, but he was on some some wild shit. And then they have, which I've never heard of before. Maybe Cole knows this. Cole has a cool, cool friends who have gotten married a lot lately. You've been to like eight weddings this year. Um, so they have a post-bachelor party. So they're all at the Mexican resort. It was Thursday. The wedding was Thursday. So it was Wednesday night. Everybody got there Wednesday. Wednesday was rehearsal dinner, chilled. Thursday's the wedding. Him and the wife are going on their honeymoon, I guess, from Friday through Wednesday. Him and all his boys who are at the resort are meeting in Vegas on Friday. And doing Vegas Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So he's going from honeymoon on Wednesday, back home, switching the gear, guy's night or guy's trip to Vegas after he gets married. You know what that sounds like? Adultery. Yeah. <laughs> quick, quick, fast. Yeah, no, that, that was not in any of the wedding cards. <laughs> it might be a thing. I don't know. Baby moons didn't exist when I was having kids and shit. I thought this might just be something new. There's like baby moons, which Trey takes. Dre does all the facts. Um, there's like uh, gender reveals didn't exist when I was having kids and shit. Uh, like, you know, there's just other shit people do. I, I didn't know anyone getting married, like when I was getting married young. Like I didn't have a, we didn't have like a bridal shower necessarily. Like where people actually bring gifts, like she just went and chilled. But I just found out like a bridal shower is like a second wedding of gifts. And women get shit for a bridal shower. So yeah, we didn't have none of that fancy shit when I was growing up, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So I thought this might be a thing, a post-bachelor's party. Nah, that sounds like trouble. Yeah, I guess it's to gamble. And nope, then, it's know, for adultery. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. There's no, only one reason. Why would you do a post bachelor party? Like <laughs> bachelor parties are created for the idea of like get your shit off. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's you know whatever it is, strip club, whatever it's get your shit off before you get married. To yeah. do it after the fact is counterproductive. It's basically yeah, saying drunk as you can, get as wild as like that's what the fuck. And, and people do different shit on bachelor parties, so that's cool. Like my goal, my yeah. bachelor party was just get as drunk as possible. I did that. Um, stupid drunk. So that was fun. Some other bachelor parties, you know, guys want to do something else. So their royal oaks one last time. Listen, t-shirt on. After you get married, like you said, at this point, sir, you just cheating. Like yeah. in, in record time, in two days. Like you're it's probably <laughs> it's just not a marathon, it's a sprint. It's like, oh, well, time for Vegas. And you know they had the dough to go to Vegas beforehand. So I'm sure he's had a real ass bachelor party. And then he has a post-bachelor party. Shit is genius. Genius, I tell you. So that's that was my experience in Mexico around rich folk. Um, maybe I just got enough money. Like, if we had the dough, maybe we would do some stupid shit like that. Because well, why not? The, the money the money is no question so that was that was my uh reason for not being here earlier in the week why this show is taking so long but having this full week between shows has allowed us dre to not be caught up in the the hype the hyperbole everything else sometimes the hate surrounding the release of this Kendrick Lamar album. You have gone on Twitter and taken one of my most disliked stances. And that's because you said that you will not hot take it. That goes against everything I am and my entire being because this is not my lane to hot take, but this is your lane. You could have came and dropped the heat to listen. That's not what I do. Through you could have dropped the heat. Mm-mm. Told everyone it's the greatest Kendrick album yet. Um, nah, how, after a week though, in which even you're again your old hip hop writing curmudgeon, so you might say a week's still not enough time. But how do you feel right now about that album without putting like nah, your, bef- I got a right stamp of approval on it? Nah, before I do that, I gotta ask you what you think, Mister. To Pimp a Butterfly has no replay value. I need to know what you think about Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Curious. I don't want to. I don't want to influence your take on this album yeah. with mine. You go first. I um. I love that you mentioned that hot take. Right. First show corner podcast ever. Eight years ago, came out the gate hot. Hot fuego with that one. To Pimp a Butterfly is not a classic. It has no replay value. It's a very good album. Not a classic. Probably his only album before this one that wasn't a classic right so it was like three out of four or four out of five however many they've been so i said it had no replay value it ended up having replay value during like the george floyd pandemic shit so it kind of came back and kicked me in the ass but i maintain so it has very specific replay value i feel similarly similarly about this album that it has no replay value but for better reasons than to pimp a butterfly entirely. I I say that in this album as 
as really like a good thing towards this album. It has no replay value, but purposefully, he tries to make people feel uncomfortable on this album. He's trying to make you sit with the music and get a message across. Like, he doesn't want you to bump this shit every day in the whip. This ain't that. It's like, yo, when you're sitting at home, when you're by yourself, you play this because these are your innermost thoughts and I'm only brave enough to say it. Right or wrong, there's somebody out there who thinks like whatever I'm saying in this song or is going through this. Um, that being said, I listened through several times now. I really like it. <laughs> like, I, I was going through it. Those first nine tracks, and I get it. It's kind of like old school tape style. People are like, is it a double album? I guess it isn't. But it's like a tape, right? Like side A, side B. Um, if it was just the first nine tracks, we'd have to sit down and talk about one of, and this is quick, one of the greatest hip hop albums put together. If it was just nine tracks, it's, that'd be like Illmatic's first nine. Um, when you play Ready to Die, or excuse me, uh, Ready to Die is incredible. But when you play Life After Death, disc one, where you at the end of disc one and you're just like, yo, if it was just disc one, it might be one of the greatest hip hop albums ever. Like it, it makes me, feel like that I was, it, there's the tone of it so many different things um so many dope ass songs obviously uh there's songs people are talking about more than others i'll let you touch on like the individual tracks but yeah those, that first nine is strong i don't dislike the back nine either like back nine is cool i just think it is for it being problematic and, and that's the reason it's much like a really good horror movie like, there's some horror movies, like, when Hostel came out, I watched Hostel, and I hate horror, you know this, but I had to watch Hostel, and I was like, yo, this shit is really well made. I'm never watching this fucking movie again in life. I didn't travel abroad, several, like, for a long time because of that movie. Like, it'll creep me out. It's like, I love Seven. I'm not going to watch it every day. I love A Clockwork Orange. I can't watch it every day. Like, no one wants to see a rape scene like that you know, more than twice in their life. Like, it's cool to recognize something can be incredible and you don't got to have replay value. I think this is, is that for me. If this album was a movie, it's a clockwork orange. It, it's Hitchcock, it's suspense, it's cringiness. It's showing you someone who is extremely intelligent and every bad side of their imagination. But they're still so good and so beautiful that you got to watch that's what I think when I watch a clockwork art. Like it's, it's phenomenally, it's impeccable. This person's horrible. And it shows you the, the horrible sides of society in all aspects. That's what I got from this Kendrick album. So I'll wait. I'm not going to hot, you know, hot take it, call it a classic right away. I wouldn't kill people if they said it. That's, that's as far as I'm going to go. If you think it's a classic already, I'm not going to fight you. The man might be five for six or whatever it is now. All right. So one, we're before we will have this conversation again later, but we there needs to be a serious conversation where Kendrick ranks among the top five greatest rappers of all time, and he's not five or four. Damn. He has made, including Section 80, five distinctly different albums, distinctly different in tone, distinctly different. Like nobody's done this. People, there's you can argue that Spin Butterfly is not the, not a classic. That's fine. Problem is, is that 
There are people that do believe that album is a classic. And there are, and it is significant to a particular point in time. The fucker won a Pulitzer, right? I don't think we have never, you know, people have said Kanye. Kanye might be the closest thing. Outcast, obviously. Yeah. We have never seen an artist go this deep into their catalog with albums that do not, you cannot take one song off of any of his albums and put it on, on another album and it makes sense. We've just never seen this before. So we have to, I think we have to have a legitimate conversation about where he is. And it's hard to gauge greatness as it's happening, right? Yeah. Because you got to fall off at some point. That's what most people think. If Roy Jones retired after he beat John Ruiz, people might say he's the greatest fighter of all time. If Ice Cube stopped rapping after The Predator with the NWA, Death Certificate, Kill It Will, America's like he would be in that conversation. Kendrick still has an opportunity to fail if he makes another album. That being said, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, I'll disagree with you on one thing. This album was not made for us to feel uncomfortable. This album was not made for us at all. This album was made for him. This album was. This album is it's, it's lazy that a lot of people called it therapy, but it is. Because what we're what we're listening to, and I've kind of alluded to that. I kind of mentioned this on like when I tried to figure out what this album was about and the the difference between trauma and culture and how we embrace both, and we embrace our trauma as culture when that's not necessarily the case. And in the heart part five, he mentions that with the Will Smith slap. It's like that's not culture. It's trauma, basically. What we're hearing out of Kendrick in this album is very difficult to listen to because it is somebody that we've put on a pedestal that is exposing all of his flaws and not asking you to forgive him for his flaws. He is basically telling you, this is, this is fuck. This is adultery. Like I cheated on my girl. I cheated. Like he says it multiple times on the album. I lust for women. I grieve different. He talks about cancel culture, which a lot of people can't accept where he basically says cancel culture is basically preventing people from saying how they feel. And he's right to a degree. Right. It doesn't mean that. I mean, I've always said I don't think cancel culture is real. I think it's nonsense. I think putting a name on it's like critical race theory. Right. It's like, don't put a name on it. It is what it is. There is also this aspect of in the song that's being talked about most right now is Auntie Diaries because of his his heavy his heavy use of the F word on the song. And here's why I say this album's not for us. It's for him. Kendrick. That song is from Kendrick's perspective growing up as a child when using that word in hip hop was not taboo. No. It was accepted in our culture. It was how we disrespected and joked with our peers by using that word and several others. David Dennis, good friend of mine, wrote a phenomenal book that I'm getting through right now. The movement made us and Justin Tinsley, his brother, with writing the Biggie book, dropping on the same day. So another conversation itself. David Dennis wrote a piece that said he didn't need to use the word. Right. It's uncomfortable. He didn't need to use the word to make that song. That may be true, but it wouldn't be honest to Kendrick, right? Art isn't supposed to appease other people unless that's the intent is to make songs for people to dance to. People came in with this expectation that they wanted an album that sounded a certain way. And when they didn't get it, they were upset. I can't get jiggy to this. Wasn't meant for you to get jiggy to. There was no party to dance to with this. Like the only, there's only like a song or two, like Die Hard is a dope ass song but other than that this was not made for anybody to enjoy this was art if this your your movie analogy is perfect if this album was a movie 
people would accept it differently because yeah. in film you can get away with a lot of things and i like and i'll go back to auntie diaries because that use of the word made a lot of people feel uncomfortable and i liken it kind of sort of to quentin tarantino using the n-word in his film and he says and tarantino often says well that's what they would have said in that era that's what they would have said now you want me to whitewash it so you can feel comfortable in current era yes we know it's wrong now people say he just really likes to use the word <laughs> maybe that's true i don't know but i feel like auntie diaries was very explicit in saying this is me back then and how we looked at this in the hypocrisy of us using that word and then us trying to tell white people not to use the n-word right it's uncomfortable it's an uncomfortable listen for a lot of people but it ain't meant for you you listen to a song like savior where he basically tells you like i am not your say like you put me on this pedestal to become everything but i'm losing myself by trying to be everything you want and i'm gonna i'm gonna just roll the dice and say that kendrick made savior somewhere in the midst of the george floyd protest at a time where everybody was asking and begging kendrick to make a song or drop an album because we need it we need it but he wasn't ready to do that shit his life his personal life is what we never consider once an artist makes a music makes music that we like we want them to, to live our lives rather than even consider what they might be going through. And Savior does that. Um, Count Me Out does that. Uh, it's very heavy. Worldwide Steppers is very heavy in that tone. Uh, and then there's Mirror, which I've talked about in our group chat. I've been waiting to write about this, and I haven't done so yet. Mirror is the opposite of real from Good Kid, Mad City. If you go back and listen to Good Kid, Mad City, Real is like the ending of the album where he basically says, I made it. I'm keeping it real. I'm being me. Like, yeah, I don't really like nightclubs. I'm really real. Like, this is who I am. Mirror basically says, fuck all that. I'm choosing me. I can't. I'm not your savior. I'm not real hip hop. I'm not whatever it is that you think I am. I have to choose because I'm going crazy trying to appease y'all and I'm burning everything that's in front of me. This album, it's it's art. It is the most uncomfortable thing, but it's not because he made it uncomfortable for us is he needed to get that shit out. And I think the other thing that Kendrick does that he does better than I would say just about any rapper that exists right now. It is the one thing that Nas has always missed is tone and the ability to emote on a song. You listen to auntie diaries, you listen to his delivery on worldwide steppers. You listen to his delivery on father figure and it's very like he he scales it back because you feel what he's saying. Nas has always been an excellent wordsmith, but he's not he's not like a lyrical actor where he <laughs> like he like picks up he punctuates his highs and if he's sad he sounds like he's sad. Kendrick does that unlike any other rapper that we've heard. Beanie Siegel did it on Where Have You Been, and I'll I'll never forget how Bean sounded on that song because he sounded like a tormented soul. Kendrick does that in this whole album. When he's angry, you feel that he's angry. When he's sad, you feel like he's sad when he's conflicted, when he's frustrated, like he does that better than anybody else. I, I, I've, I've watched people talk about this album. I hate that people call it a classic on day one. Cause I was like, what are you guys doing? And I'm mad at them. I don't get it. I don't think it was made for that purpose. I don't think Kendrick made an album for us to grade or review. No, no. I've said that uh, by the time I finally get around to writing about this, it'll have nothing to do with reviewing the album. This has everything to do with analyzing what we consider uncomfortable and basically telling Kendrick, you can't say that. 
You can't use that F word there. You can't say no to cancel culture. We believe in you. But Kendrick's saying, fuck you. I'm choosing me. I'm sorry. And his I'm sorry on that song. I'm sorry I choose me. Is not an apology more so than saying, I'm sorry, not sorry. But yeah. at a certain point in my life, I ain't got nothing left to give y'all because I will I can't make all of you happy. There's nothing I can do. This dog, I've listened to this album front to back a number. If you guys have listened to enough of me talking review albums, I have a certain type of style of artist that I like. I like Saba a lot because he talks about trauma and he talks about things that are very uncomfortable in our communities. And he talks about things that are very like emotional trauma is I think a lot of people don't do it well. Kendrick is on that same path with this album. If you like future, that's fine. I'm not a fan of future because it doesn't connect with me in any emotional kind of way. Right. If you don't like this album, I'm fine with that. Like when people say that's not a classic, I'm not arguing with you. I don't care because this I don't, I don't think Kendrick came out like good Kid Mad City. He tried to make a great album. Yeah, I think here he was just I'm trying to get my thoughts off, and I I do it for y'all. I got to do it for me. It is the uh, I don't know, man. We've never heard an album like this. We really have. I I would say. And when you talk about tone and emoting and everything on different tracks, my one hot take, and I told this to someone like on the side, but I'll say it on the show because it's what people like, but it's a good hot take. I say it so myself. I'm glad you're grading your hot takes. It is. Um, had a full conversation <laughs> with someone about this. This album is the album Eminem always thought he was making and the album he always wanted to make, but he's not as good as Kendrick. As amazing as Eminem is, all the emotion, the tone, when you talk about like Kill You and Kim and how you go from different tones and then there's other shit, he just never pieced it together. And I love Marshall Mathers LP. It had those moments where it was still just like, yeah, but there's still like gimmicky shit. He had to put um, Without Me or whatever, the real Slim Shady. He had, he had to still do shit that was like, I still got to be biggest rapper in the world white guy Eminem and jokey jokey clown shit uh, I gotta put Superman on an album I gotta do stuff like that even though I'm mid-drug crisis my mom fucking hates me suing me my girl sucked like he couldn't go all the way in he never allowed himself to Kendrick said fuck it this is the album and and the skills like match like M always wanted to make an album like this and he couldn't Kendrick is so different and so, so great that he was like, fuck it. Like, there's no single on this. I was listening to radio today on Sirius. They play We Cry Together. Like, it was a single. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, Yo. They're just like, and, and mad people talk about that song, right? Like, it was so, like, real. That shit's like Baby Boy, like you said, like, in, in song version. Um... To me, that's exactly what it was. It's like Kim, baby boy, mesh. But it's that, like, I wish this, this is an evolution of someone who has the skills of an Eminem, a top five rapper of all time, but doesn't have that weight of being the number one selling artist in the world. And they made an entire album like that. So I was just like, man, like this, it's hard to listen to, but in terms of total projects, 
and it'll grow and change and I'll have different feelings, but this is probably the most initially I've liked the Kendrick project since Good Kid Mad City. Like it's probably like that second where it hits me immediately. And it's just like, oh shit, like this is really dope. And you know, I like shit like, like I'm a Joe Budden fan at heart, right? Like I love the trauma. I love the emotional stuff. I love when you're completely open. People cringe when they listen to Auntie Diaries. It's like I played Halo in like 06, 07, 08. Like I know when people say some wild shit, like this this guy is talking, like we were all there. Like everybody acts like they weren't there. Like this shit's not like foreign language. Everybody, everybody in my middle school and high school, if you did something remotely whack or like you wanted to go to movie, like, nah, that's gay. Like that was like the term. I understand where we are today, but people act like they didn't live through that shit. Every other word out of someone's mouth was calling something gay. Like it was, it was crazy. So just being able to capture all that, like this, yeah, this album's wild. So Let, let's take it. Let's take it a step further. Uh, I, the uncomfortables and the the realities. Like I'm glad you brought up that point. It's like we act like we still don't listen to rap music it has rampant homophobia from just ten years ago. like we still act like that music doesn't exist and we're not bumping it we act like it's so it's been like you know the n-word it's like oh my god slavery was 400 years ago and you know civil rights era was in the 60s yo we were using words to talk to each other in 2010 yep stop playing so when it comes up now and people are like oh my god but dog we were just using it now it doesn't I'm not saying you can't feel a certain way about the word. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying Kendrick using this in retrospect. He's not using it in current. He's talking about growing up, dealing yeah. with this. And he, the, his use of the word, yeah, he didn't have to, but it's his truth. Another thing, Kodak Black has been a big talking point on this album. I have a theory. I don't like it. I don't like Kodak Black on this album because I don't like Kodak Black. I don't like the fact that he's he, he sexually assaulted with was a teenager, like sexual assault, whatever, right? I don't like that. I don't like how he handled Nipsey's hustles passing, right? I don't like that. He was just like, oh, you know, she's going to be free now because Nipsey got, I don't like that. But I think Kodak Black's appearance on this album is purposeful because it is facing our ugly truths. I think that is what he's doing. I don't, again, I still don't like it, right? I still don't like it, but I think what he's doing, because a lot of us will say we don't fuck with Kodak Black, but Kodak Black will get major spins on Spotify, like Apple Music. Like people are still listening to Kodak, which is nuts. Yeah, the biggest song so this year, Super Gremlin, still. It's, but it's like, but we act like we don't like it. It's like, same thing with the baby. Media about the baby. And the baby goes ahead and, and makes a song that we like, and we go, oh, we're, we're good. We're, we, we like them. So I think Kodak is basically the ugliness being in our face, right? And he's just kind of narrating through the album. There's one song, Holly Hill, which is, it's, a, it's an all right song. I mean, it's a good song. His appearance is whatever. But I think there's a reason for it. Then, then you have, like, Mother I Sober, which is a song that is just like, oh, my God. When we talk about traumatic experiences and wearing them on our sleeves, the one thing that Kendrick does, like people, I saw somebody was like, well, Kanye did that. No, no, no. Kanye makes excuses for himself through his music. Kanye's music is built to basically feel pity for him 
with what's going on with him and Kim right now. That's what he's doing. He's making himself into the hero. Kendrick is just laying it out and saying, like, I ain't the hero. I think uh, Low Key said it on him and uh, Kaz and Rosie's podcast. He was like, this is the I Ain't Shit album, right? <laughs> like, he's making an album that basically says I ain't shit. But I don't even think it's that. It's just, like, understand me, right? This, this if you unpack Mother I He's basically telling you how he built up this this trauma of being of of his other thinking that he was sexually abused built up this tolerance to shield himself by having sex with other women. It's a it's this weird thing how trauma manifests itself, but he's like using that to tell his story. It's. It's remarkable because we all try to tell people, well, you should handle depression like this. You should handle trauma like this. Yeah, I was sexually assaulted once upon a time. This is what I did, and you should do it too. Y'all grieve different. And that's the first thing Kendrick says in United We Grew in the first song on the album. Like, it's unheard of what he's doing on this. It's not songs that you're going to be bumping at a party anytime soon. You're not going to be playing these songs with your kids, right? We Cry Together is very uncomfortable to listen to, but it's Kale, we've had these arguments with our significant others. Countless times. Maybe not, maybe <laughs> it's not necessarily to the level of, you know, I've never called my wife a bitch. I just haven't. But a lot of us have. Yeah, I did. Right? I don't, only because my first, my ex-wife was always like, you better not call me outside your name and kind of like scarred me. So I was like out of my vocabulary. But I've called my ex-wife some wild shit. So I completely get this song. Like, we were but, like, what? Like, fam, I've been divorced before. Like, I said some wild shit. She hit me with her car. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, but but that's the thing. A lot of us don't like to talk about that because it's ugly. A lot of us don't like to talk about like mental health. Like conversations are cool now to a degree. Like, it's all right, man. I'm depressed. I'm having a mental health day. It's kind of cool now to talk about it. But like ten years ago, if you were, if you couldn't openly talk about that shit. When you are arguing, with how do they love each other? Let's believe on closed doors. We have conversations that you're not privy of. And we call each other things that are mean spirited and awful. And if, if I put, the, well, not me personally, but if Kendrick before this song, if people put what they call their significant others on Twitter and was like, this is what I call it. This is what our, our argument went. Most of us would clutch our pearls and say, how dare you talk to your significant other like that? Knowing good and damn well that a vast majority of us have these same arguments behind closed doors all the time. He just put his out in the open. And it's it's a tough listen. It is a very tough listen. And, and at the end of the song, you go through all that. And then it's like, well, let's go have sex now. Yep. That's so real. <laughs> it's, it's real. And if, if it's not real to you, then maybe it's not real to you. But a lot of us were just like, yep, I've been there. Yep. Yeah. Nothing, nothing I, shocking here. Nothing is shocking. Like this album is this album is a bunch of truths that we sat there and we buried in our past and act like they don't exist until they come up until like auntie diaries. This is my, this is my last thing to say about it. Auntie diaries is a song that a lot of us cringe listening to, but if, if our, our conversations were Twitter timelines, we couldn't hide from the thing that we said to each other. 10, 15. We can scrub our social media now and be like, Oh man, I don't say that shit. I don't, I've never disparaged gay people. But if our if our words were transcribed, we'd have a hard oh. time from that shit. 
We, yeah. And the way that we used it, it wasn't just like we just talked to our friends like that. But we played video games like that. We just yeah. we disparaged each other like that. Yeah. And now it's it's being. I can't believe you said that, but you did. We did it. We can't yeah. lie to each other people, anymore. People still say pause. Yes. And I'm like, yo, I'm from New York. Do you understand where pause came from? And they're like, huh? Well, yeah, when you do it. No, like pause came about because rappers were going on the radio and the radio station asked them to stop saying no homo. Like the original term for all that shit was, yo, no homo. And then they're like, yo, you can't say that. And then they're like, paused. And they just flipped it to that. But like the meaning of that, like this was 10, 12 years ago. Like it was crazy how rampant stuff was uh, before we hit the break. One, wait, one other thing I got to say. One other thing I got to say. Um, I like your like saying this is the album Eminem could make. I don't think Eminem could even try to make, would ever even try to make this album. I think Eminem likes he used to embrace his anger, right? Because very drug fuel. And that, that's the other thing that Kendrick talks about. It's like my, my, it, you grieve different when you're sober. And that was like, that was strong to me, right? I don't think Eminem ever did anything out of sobriety back then. So everything he did was like drug fueled and induced. Whereas th- for a lot of people, this is going to sound strange to some, some will get it. This, these were the series of albums that we expected Andre 3000 to make when he went solo. If there was another rap out there that we were like, man, he's different. He could make a different album. It was three stacks. Right? And we always waited for these solo albums. And I remember when Kendrick first came out and I was playing them for people. People were like, man, that's a, he's like Andre 3000. I'm like, nah, not really. But I can see where you're coming from. But I think these are the albums that we've, we've asked for for a lot of people and we just never got. And now that we get we're just like, whoa, what do we do with this shit? And it's so weird from Kendrick because like Three Stacks, like some of those other artists of that similar vein, he's so private, right? Like the reason he was up on that pedestal that he's talking about this entire album is because he doesn't speak about anything. So like, it was just like, yo, you disappear for three years. We don't know what you're doing. It's like, you're coming at us from a sober perspective. 90% of people didn't know you had a problem. Like, you, you don't tell anyone anything. Like, we didn't know you had to get sober from anything. You know, so it's it's just that, like, different, it, that mystery, and then him opening up. It's like, yo, that's the last guy I expect to open up about anything in his life. And, and, and here's the other thing. That was a byproduct of coming out of a fucking pandemic where we were forced to sit at home with ourselves, with no distractions, with no nobody else. It was just us. And we had to sit there and stew in our thoughts. And we had to sit there and go, yeah, man, what happened to me when I was 15? Wow, I was fucked up. And I got to live in it. And then we had to watch the world burn in front of us because we couldn't get away from it. Like, And now he's basically coming out of the other side of that. There's a reason why so many people have mental health issues and dealt with like psychological trauma during the pandemic is because he didn't have a distraction. That man wasn't distracted. He's been on tour. He's been on the road. He's been making music. And then everything shut down. And now as a, as a parent, this is the other part I get at the, as a parent, he had two kids in the midst of this pandemic. Like I had one in a possible and the other one came out on the back end of this pandemic. He had two kids. He had not only be a father, 
to be a husband, he had to be at home. He had to be at home for the first time. Like people don't understand this. Like when you, I'm not remotely close to Kendrick's level, but before the pandemic, I was on the road right before the pandemic hit six weeks out of eight. I was on the road. I had to come home and sit down. And then you're not distracted. There's nothing to stop you from anything, right? Work is always my thing to go to, to make me not think about anything else. There was no work. There was no work. There was no go outside. Can't go outside. It's me, my daughter, and my wife. And you got to face a lot of harsh truths when it's just y'all sitting there. Because now it's like, remember that time that you? And it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> I think that's that. this is what this album was for Kendrick. It's like, I had to sit here for goddamn almost two years. Not touring. Not, not really making music. He said he had writer's block. I believe he did to a degree because he didn't know what to talk about. And then yeah. out of all that, he was like, well, shit, I'm fucked up. <laughs> like, that's, that's what we learned about ourselves. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of fucked up. That's, that's always crazy. Because he's always a sounding board for what happens in yeah. culture, right? Like, whatever's going through, and that's what people wanted. They're like, oh, George Floyd happened. Kendrick, give us some music. They want Kendrick to be a sounding board for everyone else. During the pandemic, he was just like, fuck, what am I going to talk about? Writer's block. And then at the end, he's just like, guess I'm going to talk about me. Like, my whole life. Fuck it. Like, because now for the first time, he didn't have to be a sounding board for anything. Yep. Like, you, Look, you, there's don't, a bar. you don't have to be capped in anyone. Yeah, like, there's a bar in there. He said, uh, one protest for you, 365 for me. Right. Which is a cold line because it's, it basically says, yeah, y'all got out there for the George Floyd thing. This is not everybody, but y'all out there and did you protest? And then we just had this Buffalo shooting. Y'all not on these streets like this. I live this shit every day in my head. Like, and so when you want me to do something, when you want it, it's not fair. It's not fair. Like, yo, I, you know, we do this podcast. I do Sirius XM. I do all these other things. But if y'all don't think that there's a day where I'm like stuck because I got some other shit going on. And Kel, you know this. I'm very private. Yep. Shit happens to me. I don't talk about it. But for some people to be so selfish to say, like people were like, yo, where's the Kendrick review? And I'm like, not because, not just because I didn't want to write, but maybe I got some other shit going on. Yeah. Y'all don't give a fuck. Y'all just go, hey, man, there's the Kendrick expert. Write a thing. <laughs> and, and that's the other thing. And that's Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers is stop tap down these fucking conversations. That's all we've been doing is like, hey, man, be blunt about what you want. Be blunt about who you are. All we do is dance around these subjects until it happens to us. And we go, oh, we're victims now. There's no victimization. This is who we are. So yeah, it's it, it, I'm gonna I'm still going to write something, but if anybody cared what I thought, I felt like this is probably the best place to talk because there's no nuance on Twitter. If I said anything on Twitter, we'd be like, ah, you fucking Kendrick Dick writer, ah, it's no, a classic. Say that. You saying that? <laughs> oh, you know, people want all. classic. People want classics. People want like explanations. People want it in fucking small 140 characters. This album wasn't made for that, so y'all just gonna have to live without it. I'll tell you this, if this album came back in the day of like true music journalism, five mics, you know, double XL sources, all that. And uh, writers were able to get it two months ahead of the time and sit down with it and everything. It's a five mic album. Yeah, probably. I don't know if you sit down with this two, two months ahead of time with no outside noise, no outside perception, and you don't give it five mics. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I've had people ask me this. I never realized how many people didn't really understand the, how the process used to be back in the day. It's like you would get an album, it wouldn't be two months, 
it's depending. Sometimes it would. But for the most part, you would have an album like three to four weeks ahead of time. And it was yours. And it was watermarked with your name on it. So you couldn't share it. Nope. It was yours. For you promotional had to use only. And like other yeah, stupid little like, fucking God voices. Damn. <laughs> Goddamn tags all over my shit. And you'd have the CD. Or the, or the, like you would have a CD and you ride around with it and you listen to it and you listen to it. And it's like, there was no really, like the internet wasn't like that. So you couldn't really talk to about it with anybody. And then you go like, all right, time to write a review. And that's what you would do. Now it's the, in the world of immediacy. It's like, yo, the album just dropped. It was a classic. Like the album was an hour and 18 minutes long. People were it, 60 minutes. were like, this is a classic. Motherfucker, you ain't heard the last three songs yet. <laughs> Relax. Yep. Uh, 100%, man. It's a, uh... Not a good convo. Let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we'll actually talk MMA. A um, couple topics to just really touch on in the world of MMA, away from just the fight cards. Then we'll wrap up doing our recap of last week and giving our predictions for this upcoming card. So you guys don't go anywhere. Be right back after this. All right, everybody, welcome back. Time to talk MMA. Dre, before we get into the ins and outs of last weekend's card and this weekend's card, before we do all of that, so much other things to talk about in the world of MMA. And I feel like let's start with something from a fellow podcast or show at this point. I mean, not disrespect Errol. Um, the MMA Hour, Errol Hawani, tons of guests every week. Errol's my dude. Great work every week. This interview, though, stood out because Dustin Poirier was on with Ariel Hawani this past week. And my mans cannot get a fight. Why? There's so many things pointed out, like stood out in this interview. And we'll go through them as we go along in this conversation. But the first thing that stood out to me was him saying, the UFC has offered me one fight this past week. It's Colby Covington. If not, I got to wait until the end of the year. Why, when there's a guy named Nathan Diaz asking, begging for a fight, is Colby Covington the only option? In a division that Poirier doesn't even fight in. Why? All right. All right. So, pro, re- pro wrestling listeners, you'll have to wait until next week. They really dig in on the Sasha Banks Naomi story about them walking out. But there is a parallel here, and it's called ownership, and it's called Who Owns Who. And there's a book that Charles Roden wrote called The $40 Million Slave that I swear by, one of my favorite books of all time. Dustin Poirier has done everything the UFC's asked him to do. He's beat Conor McGregor twice. He lost to Charles Oliveira. He's beaten Dustin, uh, Justin Gaethje. He's beaten Eddie Alvarez. He's done everything to become a star. They don't like him as much as they like Colby Covington. And therein lies the issue. The issue is, the issue is, is that when the UFC wants something, they're going to find a way to get it. In boxing, you can negotiate the terms of your fight. If Errol Spence fights Terrence Crawford, they negotiate the terms of the fight, the money. They negotiate all those things. Poirier doesn't have that power. He can't go to the UFC and say, well, I want to fight Chandler, but I should get this. And I want to fight Nate Diaz, but I should get this. The UFC says, we like Colby Covington. We think you should fight out of your fucking weight class. 
against an opponent that you don't like, that you don't want to make mo- any money off of you, but we want that fight. Otherwise, you can't make a dime until the end of the year. That's fucked up. Like, what, what does Dustin Poirier got to do? And you, if you listen to that interview, Dustin says, well, you know, I had to take a shot of whiskey, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll do it. It's like you were put in a position where you're being bullied into a fight that you don't want, and it's an out-of-your-way class. Colby Covington is a phenomenal wrestler. He could put you on your back for five rounds. You could lose this fight, and you know what hurts? You. Colby Covington doesn't lose anything. UFC makes a bunch of money off of a grudge match that they want to see, and Poirier's stock goes down. He can't – like, when he comes to renegotiating his contract, they'll go, ah, you were 2-1 two and, two and one in your last three fights or whatever the fuck, and you lost to Colby Covington. That's not – that's fucked up. Like, Poor. when we talk about, like, Sasha Banks and Naomi, which we'll go more in depth in, they were lied to, basically, about being tag team champions. They were told, this is the storyline you're going to do, even though we told you some other shit. And Sasha Banks was like, yeah, never mind. I'm just going to leave. And she left. The problem is Dustin Poirier can't do that or else he doesn't eat because they're paid so little that they got to rely on their next fight in order to feed their families. So if Dustin Poirier wants to feed his family, that Louisiana hot sauce ain't going to cut it. You got to throw hands with somebody. And the hot sauce is delicious, by the way. (laughs) Which I haven't had it yet, which I've heard it is. But if he wants that fight, if he wants to make money, he's going to have to fight somebody he hates. And he might lose that fight because it does. Let's just say Dustin Poirier fights Colby Covington and wins. What does it do for him? Fights Kamaru Usman? You think he wants to fight Kamaru Usman? No, I don't think anyone. I mean, he would. You got to get a new deal. Like, if you beat him, he'll fight Kamaru Usman, but you got to give him whatever you give him style, Bender, at this point. But they won't do it. They like control. Because he's letting, like, he's beating all your stars. Yeah, they, they don't like that. Like, Nate Diaz is being punished. If you, if you listen to Nate Diaz and keep saying, I want to fight, I want to fight, the UFC is not offering him any fights. Why? Because they're waiting for the perfect fight to get him fucked up so they don't have to be dealing with Nate Diaz anymore. Say, here, fight, fight, how's my Kamaya? Nate Diaz is like, what the, f-? and he'll fight him, but he's like, well, am I going to pay more to fight him? No. Why would I take that fight? Give me somebody I could beat. They, they put him in there with Leon Edwards in a fight that everybody knew he was going to lose. And he took the fight and he lost. And now he's sitting there going, well, I got one fight left on my deal. Can I fight Connor? And they're like, no, he's not ready. <laughs> Can I fight somebody? No. We'll tell you when to fight. That's, it's the worst position to be in. And I feel terrible for you. And I don't know if people read through the lines, but it's like, this is like slavery in, in, in MMA. And then you have somebody like Michael Chandler who goes on Twitter and says the most ridiculous I came from the house and I just became, I came from the field and now I'm a house Negro quote that we could ever hear where he goes, well, Dana has, they've been doing this since 1993 and Dana White has had 10,000 sleepless nights. All I got to do is get up and train. So what am I complaining about? What the fuck are you not, you're getting punched in the face for a living. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's not getting CTE in his no, sleepless nights. No, his sleepless nights is he's sleeping on a fucking bag of money. What are you <laughs> sleeping on? Like, what is wrong with you, Chandler? <laughs> But that's what, that's what the UFC wants to create is spokespeople for this promotion to basically say, it's all right that we're getting bent over and raped financially. It's okay because Dana White loses sleep at night because he has to book our fights. Get the fuck out of here. I wish Terrence Crawford would say some shit like that. Bob Aram. Oh, poor Bob. He doesn't Bob. book the fights, right? <laughs> well, between, between Dana and Hunter, like they, they match make. 
But I, I, look, I get it. It's hard, but it's not like the UFC is not making money hand over fist. It's not like they didn't sell this company for like a billion fucking dollars and paying people 14 and 14 to beat each other's brains in. They are making money. Michael Taylor, shut the fuck up. You should be right there going, yeah, means that's a Poirier fight. We should get a half a million each. Easy. Easy. Nope. Chandler will be like, I'm okay with 125 and maybe yeah. a performance of the night bonus. People are in PFL making a mill. And that's PFL. It's not the that's biggest PFL. fucking MMA organization in the world. Yo, like if you look at their gate receipts for the UFC and then their pay-per-view, and then you look at what these fighters make, yo, what the hell? And now does the point can't even choose who he wants to fight. They're not even giving them a list. They could go to Poirier and say, hey, man, you haven't fought since. How long has it been? How long has it been? Poirier and, and, uh, and Connor. Last Almost a year. February? Almost a year because that injury when me and you talked about like them having a re- it's been I thought he'd come long. back this February, right? The, and, and Dustin, had, he, fought, he fought Charles Oliveira in... So that last, was last August. The Oliveira fight? No, no the Connor, Connor. Connor fight. And then he fought Oliveira and got submitted. That was earlier this year, right? Yeah, he hasn't been shelved for that long. But they're, tell, they're telling him, well, you got to wait like 10 months for another fight. Instead yeah. of saying, well, here's a list of pe- people that you can fight. Pick one. You're going to get paid Connor, the same. He beat Connor last Jan- or January 2021. Beat Connor again July 2021, which should make you a superstar. Lost to Oliveira December 2021. Hasn't fought this calendar year. And, and he, if he's got to wait till December to fight because he won't agree to fight Colby Covington, you're not making any money. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, how does the UFC not present him a list of names? Because the thing is, he's getting paid the same no, almost no matter who he fights. If he fights Nate Diaz, like, he may get some pay-per-view points depending on where he's positioned on the card. But if he fights Colby Covington, that's not a fucking pay-per-view fight. Yeah, it is. It's not headlining. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. So he, he's not going to get pay-per-view points for that shit. And we, we all know Colby's not getting pay-per-view points. No, shout out to Jorge Masvidal. <laughs> like, come on, man. This is this is the worst shit ever. Like, I every day that I cover this sport, I feel like I'm losing a part of my soul because it's fucking miserable. Like what they're doing to these fighters and listen, watching Dustin in that interview, it just looked like he was gonna soul sucked out of him because he's like, "All right, fine, I'll do what you." Man, fuck. You just beat Conor McGregor twice. What the hell? And you begging for a fight? Begging. They should be begging to put you back on a card. That's that. Uh, that shit made me miserable. Anyway, so wild to think of. That being said, him and Colby, pretty damn exciting fight. <laughs> so, I'm not mad, especially after all the shit Colby was just talking. But he gets I'm paid again. It. But he gets paid again. That's the fucked up part. Yeah, Dustin yeah. said it. Dustin said it clear as day. I don't want that man to make any money off of me, and he's going to. Yeah, because I got to make money, and it's not like yo, you got to sit. Until we find another opponent for you, it's you got to sit until December. Like they gave him a time. Like yo, either you're gonna be out a year without making any money, hot sauce man, or you are gonna fight who we want in July. <laughs> and he's just like, well, July thirtieth, it is. <laughs> like, let's do it. Terrible. So that's that's going to be interesting. That's a problematic ass card if we put. Colby on there, if that ends up being the return of John Jones versus Stipe for like an interim fight, that's that does pay per view numbers. 
just not. I mean, Kobe's a big star. Kobe is and Kobe in there is not bad. I mean, he he draws a certain demo, sure. What does it do to Dustin Poirier? That's all I'm he, asking. Like, what's it do for Dustin Poirier? I don't. So the reason people like Kobe Covington, we all know the gimmick, right? So his fan base is built off the gimmick, which makes it tough. Because even if you beat him, you're not going to steal his fans. Because you don't have the same gimmick. Like, they're, they're not around for wins and losses. Like, he's not going to put someone over. They're going to continue to like him and what he stands for. So, yeah, no, nah, nah, it's, it's, it's not like beating Connor, where you went over some of his fans because you, you look better. Or It's not like beating Nate Diaz, which you can win some of the Diaz army over, right? Like, beat his ass, hug it out, blood. They were like, oh, he's like a Louisiana Diaz brother, right? Like, you, you don't gain any clout. Kobe fans are just Kobe fans. And I don't know how Kobe's going to fa- fight with, like, three teeth missing. Well, that's the other thing. I thought this motherfucker's pay had brain damage and lost teeth. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he ready to take a fight? Somebody lying. Somebody's lying. Masvidal's like, what the fuck? Push my court case back more. Yeah, this guy's even getting in the ring. Fibs are being told. It just says, basically says, it pays to be Dana White's friend. And share his same political views. Because if you do that, you get what you want. If you don't, yeah. it puts you on the goddamn bench. Half the time, you don't even got to share. Let me, I mean, that helps, right? Cowboy. <laughs> then we, we have Colby and such. But even if he likes you somewhat, like, that goes a long way. If you are Dana's friend, like, he likes to be, be there the hell he wants. Uh, towards the end, he didn't like him earlier. <laughs> you know, remember when Habib kept getting injured and Dana would just fucking crush him? Yeah, I'm never booking that fight again. Fight again. Third, like, <laughs> like he made him take the hardest road to a title fight ever. And, and Dana, listen, no one's no one's touching this guy. Oh, every time he comes back, no, no title fight. Like fuck. Listen, there is a there's something that has to be said. Like promoters are human beings as well, right? They like who they like, they don't like who they don't like. But when you wear your feelings on your sleeve towards certain fighters as a promoter, I can't win because I know you're not going to promote me right. Like if I'm t- and I keep using that example, if I'm Tyron Woodley, and I know Dana White don't fuck with me, I'm fucked. No matter what I do, like he's praying and praying for my downfall, like a Biggie song. Like he just wants me to lose, so he can cash out and get over. him. it's my job to try to turn it back. But guess what? I'm not Floyd Mayweather. I can't make more money with every fight that I win. Yep. I just I'm making the same amount of money. Like signing a fight, like you listen to these guys. I signed a five fight deal, and I make X amount of money per fight. That's cool. Sean O'Malley's the only person who played it right. Sean O'Malley said, I signed this deal. If you make more money than me, I'm not fighting you. If you're higher ranked than me, you make more money than me, I'm not fighting you. And some people were like, that's crazy. And I was like, no, that's fucking brilliant. Yep. Because he can beat up cans and make the same amount of money. Now he gets a new contract. He's like, oh, okay. Now I'll fight you, Pedro Munoz. Now I'll fight you, higher ranked fighters. Because I'm getting yep. paid to do it. It's business, baby. That's all it is. Shit is business. People always forget. Shout out to Ryan Garcia, who said this on Twitter the other day when he was talking shit to Isaac Cruz, he was like, promoters work for you. Yes. You do not work for these promoters. They can suggest things. The promoter works for you. And people forget that shit all the time, especially in the UFC. Well, the UFC, it's the Muhammad Ali Act, is the promoter is also basically the manager of the company, which is basically the entity that controls everything. They don't care about you. They just care about making shit, making fights. Everybody got to sit down and be like, yo, you got to put that entire tough cast 
on ESPN pay-per-view. And let's see what numbers this does. Um, fuck the, the fucked up part is it'll still probably do numbers. No. Yes. Three pay-per-views in a row there, UFC caves, whatever the fighters want. I, I sincerely doubt it because here's there, why. There's not enough quality fighters not signed to other promotions Here, in the world. Like you can't yeah. replace an entire roster. I'm going to give you, I mean, here's why. There are 577 fighters on the current UFC roster. They will always find somebody to step in. And they've created no, it. Created... Right now, if all of them sat. Oh, yeah, they're not going to do that. 577. <laughs> you can't go find another batch. No, but, there's, you cannot. But, that, but, that, but that's capitalism as finest, right? Because as long as there's 577 fighters, there's always going to be somebody that's like, I'll t-. there's always going to be a fucking Michael Chandler in the bunch. There's going to be a scab. Always. Oh, Chandler will come and fight Cowboy. Yeah, Chandler, <laughs> Chandler will be like, I will fight eight times on this card if you want me to, Uncle Dana. You want me to save the card? You can pay me the same funny. I will fight on the prelims, the, the ESPN fight pass, the main and the co-main, and I'll get paid the same amount of money. And you can promote it as Michael Chandler goes ham. <laughs> you wouldn't even give him a, a new deal for no. fighting in all those fights. <laughs> but, that, but the point, that's my point. As long as you have that big of a roster and you've created a culture where fans come to watch the fights, you have a few stars in there, but there's no three bit letters bigger than the UFC. There will always be somebody to step in to take that opportunity because Dana has created the illusion that I can make you a star. And they'll all step up. Oh, he's not going to step up? I'll take a fight on short notice. It's the dumbest shit you could do as a UFC fighter. Taking a fight on short notice, it's like, yeah, the fans like me. Then you lose and nobody gives a fuck. Yeah, it's tough. You take one too many of those, it's a wrap. Right, and then you're over here getting cut, and, yeah. and you stuck your neck out for the UFC. You're fighting in Bellator. Probably getting paid well, more, too. That's Corey Anderson. That's Corey Anderson, what, he, what he's making right now. That man's happy. as a pig and shit. He's getting paid. <laughs> I still say bang for the buck. PFL is the best place to go. Less competition, you get paid per fight, and then have another chance to get a mill at that. Yeah, still rolling the dice. I mean, I get it. I, I'm just saying, there's just no excuse. No sponsors. You can't even walk to the octagon with your flag anymore. Yo, they took the flags away. You know what? 100%. Conor McGregor returns, he's walking to the octagon with the flag. Yeah, then you got a problem. But that, I'm just saying, that it's the, the idea that they said you can't represent the country that you're from. Takes too much away from the UFC, sir. You can't have sponsors. You can't wear your flag. You can't have an identity. What are they, Venom outfits now? Yeah, Venom with yeah. crypto with crypto shit on there. Oh, crypto, cash them out. Right, but you know who didn't make any money? The fighters. Not one cent to the fighters. <laughs> no, they get like a little crypto bonus. It's like $2,500. It's like, ooh, I made $2,500 for getting my ass kicked. Fuck this. Before taxes. <laughs> Before taxes. Uh, other thing that really just crossed over through the MMA feeds this week... Tony Kelly saying filthy fucking Brazilians, and there's no problem in his eyes with that. It is not racist. He doubles down on Twitter and says, you know what? Perfectly fine. This is MMA. Oh, yeah. This is what's wrong with MMA culture. He's peak MMA. I'm not even surprised. Not surprised. You know what I say. Never surprised, always appalled. This is the perfect example. I mean, Chael Sonnen did this shit, what, 15 years ago? Yeah, they never stopped it. Look, look, there's supposed to be like morals and ethics, right, in MMA. You can get fired because we've seen 
it's crazy. We saw, I always go back to Miguel Torres years ago when he used the rape van joke from It's Always Sunny and they yep. cut his ass. It was like, that's unethical. <laughs> Got rid of his ass. But Dana was calling Cyborg a fucking man. Nobody's fine Dana White. He created a culture where it was okay to say shit like that. He disparaged Loretta Hunt, a woman journalist. Yep. Like he shits on people all the time. Now we, we fast forward. To this Tony Kelly fuck. That's the name, right? Tony Kelly? That's the name? Yeah. Yep. Andrea, Andrea Lee's boyfriend, who Andrea Lee keeps the worst company. She, her ex-boyfriend had swastikas tattooed on him post-prison. And the UFC didn't do shit about it. What I mean, kind at of that point, what can you do? Hey, you ain't fighting for me, motherfucker. It, look, look. In, in the WWE, uh, God damn it, I can't remember who it was. It was a pro Seth wrestler. Rollins had no, the girl. No, 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 no. This is before that. Who had the swastikas? He dropped her. Yeah, no. There was a wrestler. It was a wrestler that Jim Ross spotted the swastika on his ankle and was like, "Oh, you're done here. We, you're done." And they got rid of him. I can't remember who it was. Somebody's gonna tell me. Somebody's gonna be in my mentions. I can't remember who it was. But if you see a fighter, that's a two-fight winning streak for uh, Tony Kelly. Nah, fuck that guy. If if you see <laughs> if if a fighter has a swastika tattooed on them. There's no reason they should fight in your octagon if there's morals and ethics. There's no excuse for a swastika in this day and age on any part of your body that's visible or invisible for that matter. Get that shit covered or removed if you're going to fight for me. If the promotion cares about what people think, people of color, Jewish people, they don't care. Dana doesn't fucking care. So this dude goes out here and says all this shit and is Dana going to do anything about it? No. I mean, he he operates under this, this guide of like, yo, we're freedom of speech here. But it's one of those things where it's like, are you though? You're not. You? you remember, you remember, I don't know if you remember this. You remember when Cain Velasquez won the UFC heavyweight title and everybody got into shit about having the brown pride tattoo on his chest? Yes. And they were like, oh, that's racist. It's not a swastika, dickheads. To have pride in your, in your community and your culture does not mean you hate white people. Although having a swastika suggests that you want to annihilate Jews and anybody that uh, has melanin in their skin. That shit is okay? This fucker Tony Kelly said filthy fucking Brazilians. Filthy fucking Brazilians? All they do is cheat. You are categorizing a group of people. Damn, he wasn't even fighting. He was just in the corner. Yeah. And Andrew Lee's like, yes, boss. I love what you say about them Brazilians. Let me go out here and fight. Your ass should be cut too because you were endorsing this kind of behavior. <laughs> I mean, she knows how to pick. She does. But, it's, it's a, but it creates a culture of UFC fans who feel comfortable chanting USA to anybody that's a person of color, no matter what country they're from, they'll chant USA. They've yep. created a culture that loves Colby Covington. They created a culture that says, oh, Henry Cejudo? Yeah, he's going to kick it with Dana White and they're going to go to the Republican National Convention? That's our team. That's what it creates. That's why people like me and you, Kel, we're outliers when we cover these sports because it ain't made for us. We're not the invited. We're not the intended audience. There's a reason why Daniel Cormier is in the Hall of Fame. It's because he's a nice guy and he's been a great fighter, but he toes the fucking company line. And as a black man... There's no way that if Tyron Woodley was in that same spot, they'd have put his ass in the Hall of Fame. 
He just didn't no. do it. And then once upon a time, Tyron Woodley was arguably in the conversation for greatest UFC welterweight of all time. He's a Hall of Famer, though. <laughs> like, when the time comes. We shall see. Anderson Silva's not in the fucking Hall of Fame, but Daniel Cormier is. Anderson Silva's? I mean, I guess he's, he's still not. fighting. No, he's retired now. Exactly. He retired before Cormier. But in my, that's my point. Anderson Silva's arguably the greatest mixed martial artist that lived. He was the Roy Jones of this shit. He has saved the UFC on numerous occasions, and he's not in the fucking Hall of Fame. They've had because a, he's making money outside of the UFC, and Dana's like, eh, until you're like really done, I ain't fucking with that. But Daniel Cormier's making money in the UFC as a commentator, and he's I mean, in the Hall of Fame. He's getting paid by them, of course. Like Frank Shamrock. Right. Frank Shamrock was one of the greatest fighters, in the, and the UFC hates Frank Shamrock. He will <laughs> never get in the Hall of Fame. Never. It's the WWE shit all over again. It's not a real Hall of Fame. There's no uh-huh. people outside of the organization get to pick these people in the Hall of Fame. Is China in the Hall of Fame? Yes, finally. Oh, Forever. good. Yeah, this past year, right? Yes. Should have yeah. been in the Hall of Fame. But, it's, they, but they've created show, a culture. You know, show a little titty you can't get in the Hall of Fame. They used to do Playboy. Come on, man. Sable showed titties. You saw half the roster's titties in the 90s. That's what I'm just saying. Because they were like, yo, go do Playboy. Every single one. Like, yo, you in the belt. You're the Playboy centerfold. Yeah, like, like, could you imagine that shit? Like, they, just Charlotte and Sasha Banks showing titty right they, now? They draw the line if you do porn, I suppose, back then. I guess that's not porn. But they, but they never – but here's the thing. They never – look, Sean Waltman is my guy. Yeah, so that's my friend. Full describe. Me and Sean Waltman, we tight. Cool dude. Sean Waltman did porn with China. They never said anything about Sean Waltman. To be fair, that's a leaked sex tape. I'm not sure if that's the same. She then went and did porn. Like, she, I mean, she legit then did porn. Like, yo, y'all seen everything. Fuck it. We gonna cash out. Either way, it's the, the, there was never anything that was like, well, you know, this is a kid's program. Yes, everybody saw Sean Walton's cock. No. Nobody said anything. I almost made the funniest joke, and I did it, and I'm so glad I stopped myself. Good. Uh, about the China porn category. And it was not in any way disrespectful to her, but someone who I am 100% positive enjoys that genre or pornography. But I almost let it slip on air. Thank God I caught myself. Um, I will put it in the reverse rat pack group chat. We will all have a very good time. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, but in terms of <laughs> Dana White and the UFC, back on uh, topic. Yeah, is this now... He's gone so far anti-cancel culture where he just allows anyone to say anything. And uh, I, I bet you there's a line there, though. I bet you, I bet you, you know, if Aljamain Sterling was like something pro-black, bet you didn't have a problem with it. Aljamain Sterling can't come out and say defund the police. <laughs> Hell no, he right can't. Right now, middle of the octagon. Defund the police. You know what Dana's doing? Dana's walking up. He's stripping on belt. Yeah, right he's there. like, this is now, you are released. You're fired. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what we have. Yeah, you can't say no wild shit. Uh, Yo, let, let someone win and cut a mean, mean abortion promo. Like CM Punk wearing the abortion t-shirt on Dynamite level shit. What? Data's like, yo, do you not know who the fuck our sponsors are? Yeah, get, get your ass here. over here. You better join you the Kiss like, My Ass Club. What? You know, like <laughs> when a little kid gets snatched up in the supermarket, like, get, get your ass over here. There's Dana just pulling. So, 
don't bring that shit in here. It's, so yeah, no, nah, there's there's definitely a lot. Bro, the last thing I'm gonna say, it's getting increasingly difficult to cover this sport, man. I, I love the fighters, some of them. I love the art of fighting. But this bullshit, it's really hard as a black man in America to be like, yeah, this is cool. You know what MMA doesn't have? People saying stick to sports. <laughs> I no wonder why. No one tells Kobe, Kobe Covington to stick to sports. Zero. Big facts. The but in the NBA, they say the same. Ah, okay. You know, is it Uchiwali? Is it one mic? That's all I got to know. Jesus. Last thing about the UFC before we real quick run through the card. Uh, Habib also did an interview talking about Charles Oliveira does not consider Charles Oliveira the undisputed champion, which, I mean, in all honesty, it's not wrong. Charles Oliveira is the number one contender. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, but, technically, yes. Yes. So, but no, Habib meant it in a, a much more just really trying to downplay Charles Oliveira. And him and Islam Mahachev have been crushing Charles Oliveira this week. Every interview <laughs> – Habib went on and told Dana, like, yo, you got to either pick up my phone or I'm going to actually drop the location. I'm in Vegas in June. Like, answer my text. That shit was hilarious. But Habib is, is dead serious. Islam said he thinks Habib would have worked Charles Oliveira. Quite possibly. It's Habib and Michael Medoff. Habib thinks Islam makes it look easy against Charles Oliveira. He did a, a spot today with Usman and uh in triple c henry cejudo and we're all like talking wrestling and he's like showing them his style of wrestling and like how to control he's like you gotta use your thighs it's like ride them like a horse and then in the middle of that it's just like training thing and he's still like charles Oliveira, no ground game it's like yeah just out of nowhere it's like he has no ground game how you have ground game you get submitted eight times it's like the man tapped eight times i was like oh my god it's like he's crushing him Habib, they zero respect for Charles Oliveira. I'm starting to believe them. I mean, there's there's different levels to shit, right? Like we see amazing jujitsu guys get worked by great wrestlers, and they say wrestling's like the greatest discipline if you can master it. But still, it seems scary and dangerous. They have zero respect for this man's submission game. Zero. You know, you know what, Habib, this is gonna sound bad. Either you fight him or shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear shit. You got to fight him. He got a fighter right there. No, 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 no. Like saying he's not the undisputed champion, you go fight him. Like, because he is when he gets the title back, whenever that happens, if that's what's supposed to be. Like for all of our eyes, he's still the champ. He just doesn't have the belt, which no fighter has the belt when they walk into the octagon anyway. So who cares? Charles Oliveira is the best fighter in the lightweight division right now because you left. Now, if you want to say, He's not the undisputed champion, and I'm going to kick his ass. Go do it. But Habib weighs like 190 pounds right now. Of course, but it's easy to say that. And I believe Habib would beat him. I believe that. I believe Habib's the greatest lightweight of all time. Or easily one of the most dominant forces that MMA has ever seen. I said it before. You can make an argument he's the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. may not be right, but you can make that argument. But when you're not fighting anymore, and you're putting all your stock in a Makachev, if Charles Oliveira fucks Makachev up, are you going to come out of retirement and face that man? Or are you going to concede and be like, I was wrong? 
Sorry, Charles. Because you have to apologize. Now it's reached the point where I feel like if, if Makachev <laughs> fights Charles Oliveira, it shouldn't just be for money. It should be for a straight-up apology. I would want Habib <laughs> to meet me in the octagon and be like, my bad. I was wrong, Charles. You're really good at what you do. Like, come on, man. Like, you're not fighting this man. Islam has to be next. At this point, they're going. Like, everything's pro wrestling. Habib was like, fuck it. We're just going to smear him. Full smear campaign. We're going to force Dana's hand to the point we're just going to talk so shitty about him that Charles Overs is going to be like, you know what? Fuck these guys. Like, no, I want Islam. Like, you ain't just going to be talking shit about me for three straight months. Nah, nah, nah. I need the, the whole thing. There was a, it's like Shakur Stevenson when he fought Oscar Valdez. He was like, Man, it's going to feel so good to be Oscar Valdez because I'm going to go in there and it means I'm going to be beating Canelo. I'm going to be beating, like, he named the Eddie Ray so He was like, I'm going to beat him so bad. I'll beat the whole camp because they're in there with him every day. That is the promo Charles Oliveira is going to cut. Like, I beat Islam, but I didn't just beat Islam. I beat Habib. I beat, just name the whole fucking crew and just cut a promo to the point where you got to make Habib cut the weight and come back. Then that's where you flip it. You just shame Habib. No, you shame him. And then you make him wait. It's like, ah, right, I, <laughs> I got hurt. Uh-huh. No, make, make him, him wait. wait. Make him wait. With a, with a long, hard weight cut. Yep. Fight week. Like, ah, uh, I pulled something. We got to yeah. reschedule. Can't do it. Hey, Habib, go uh, go handle Eagle <laughs> FC. I'll be back. Fight you some other time. Habib also wants to coach Ultimate Fighter. What, what the fuck is that? Right? Like, you're not even in the promotion anymore. And you're going to coach the ultimate fighter. With Tony Ferguson. First of all, who, who wants to see this? If it doesn't end with those two fighting, which I don't think anybody wants to see these two fight at this point. What, what are you doing, promoting Eagle FC now? Yeah, that's tough, right? Like, it, if he didn't have a bunch of his fighters, like, spread out, it would make for one hell of a season if it was just – Team Habib versus like the world. So nothing but Dagestanis. There's no divisions. Like, yo, Habib just like, I'm coming with my whole crew, top to bottom, every weight class, and a chick. Throw in like a Dagestani chick who's just filthy and wrestling, like 125, 135, and she's just like a female Habib. If he had a crew of like 10 deep and he came, and I was like, yo, Tony Ferguson, you go and find all the other unsigned fighters you can, one in each division against my person and every week you go like two fights or something i'd watch that shit. who wants to see tony ferguson coach anything right now i mean it's better than watching him fight he needs to recuperate you need to give him time to something. like give me a break like i don't want to see tony ferguson on my <laughs> tv like I, yo you just got fucking smashed by michael chandler why would i want to see this on the ultimate fighter i want to see he'll be maybe coach against charles Oliveira. that's fair got smashed Smash Tony Ferguson. I don't want to see that shit. <laughs> I mean, do you watch Ultimate Fighter right now? Let's be honest. No, and I still won't watch the shit. <laughs> I've seen a couple. I've seen a couple episodes, and it's the same shit as it was before, right? I, I could probably predict what's going to happen. Um, yeah, it's, it's very similar. This season has Kamara Usman's brother. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, no, a bunch of big dudes. Big man bumming me, but yeah, nothing to like write home about. I watch it because like I gotta cover it every week. 
But <laughs> we watch a lot of shit because we got to cover it every week. If you down. ask me on my free time, it's like you gonna watch those men fighting in your free time? Fuck no. No, I ain't watch that shit on my free time. I can't it's even not, watch Impact. That's always my case television. with Impact Wrestling. No, no, I mean it's not good television. It needs to be more real world dish again. Like what happened? Like there's nothing better than the Diaz bros or Nate on that shit at all. Because that shit was like straight out of real world. Like everyone just everyone had beef with somebody. I miss those days. It's just not, people just in people just in the house dehydrating now, tired of cutting cares. weight and shit. Yeah, it's like they create this atmosphere. They throw a bunch of liquor in there and a bunch of meatheads, and they go here, drink a bunch of shit, try to cut some weight, and fuck each other up. And after like twenty-seven or twenty-eight seasons, you're like, why do I care about this shit anymore? They don't even I let them drink no more. Yeah, I don't it, care. Some shit don't get old. Like I can watch all fifty seasons of the Real World Challenge, or now is what MTV the Challenge because they started oh, inviting man. people that are not in Real World or Road Rules. Uh, which, god damn it, can we bring back Road Rules? What happened to this? Yeah, well, road rules are so underrated when it comes to that. But you don't no longer have to be on real world or road rules, and they bring people in from all over the place. Um, Tech Money came back like two seasons ago. Leo Rush was on it like three years ago. It, there's no qualifications anymore. Dre, if me and you got into shape, they'll probably throw us on for a season. But we got kids and shit. Cole, producer Cole Bebe can take a couple of weeks off from the studio. <laughs> It's a go on the challenge. Right, Cole? You got it. I got this. <laughs> Cole took a bump for us. He will go on the challenge. That is true. I am and, I am very good at taking bumps. So yes, right in my defend, alley. What am I getting? Defend our honor on the show. Don't let anyone on there now. Like, and it keeps going. People still watch it. So there's no no excuse for the ultimate fighter. They lost the drama and made it all about fighting. No one gives a fuck about fighting. The fighting is extra. Oh boy. So that, that's the biggest problem there. We'll see. Habib is entertaining. Um, Dre, we've gone super long on the spot. So we're actually just going to throw this here at the end um, and talk about the upcoming fights this weekend so that we can just give our predictions for, like, the main card. Um, I'd say co-main and main event. Real quick, last weekend, Jan Blachowicz wins. Looks like he's in line for a rematch or a title shot because that division's still shaking itself out underneath um, a title opportunity. But was it convincing? Because it was really just a knee injury. I thought he was losing up to that point. That was a good fight. I thought if we got a five-round fight, they need to do it again at some point. Alexander Rakic, is, he's the toughest motherfucker. He just blew his goddamn knee out. So it sucks, but, you know, that's a, what happens. He's going to be injured, and he's going to sit on the shelf and not get paid to fight because he's going to be chill. No. And... Weird for Jan, like you say, have been, you know, oh, they got to run it back down the line. Jan is like 40 years old. Well, there's a lot of, there's a long line to get down yeah. the line. So uh, this weekend we have Holly Holm, Caitlin Vieira, main event, technical main event. I mean, I'm really looking at the co-main of this fight. I mean, when Holly Holm is aggressive, she can be great. Yep. So I'm going to pick Holly Holm because I feel like at this point, somebody's got to tell her, look, Holly, you can't do that counter-striking shit. You just need to go ahead and take Ketlin uh, Vieira's head off in this fight. And I don't know if she'll do that. I think she'll win her decision, though. I think Holly Holm's just very technically sound, good take on defense. Uh, yeah, the preacher's daughter comes out victorious. I agree. I think she's still just, like, hanging around. 
it's weird because she's talking about like, oh, she wants to go back and do boxing. Eddie Hearn has mentioned like she would be a cool opponent for Katie Taylor to fight like after this yeah. Serrano thing. I mean, in terms of name, the woman who knocked out Ronda Rousey, like you can figure something out there. Eddie Hearn's been chilling with Dana White. Dana might actually like let that fight happen. It's possible. And then, you know, Katie Taylor, that here in Vegas, figure it out. Not, I mean, Holly Holmes not bringing any other cross, like true star promotion to the UFC. Use her in that fight, build the name. So um, that's something down the line. But looking at both sports, it's kind of like, uh, don't get caught slipping. You, you still kind of got to win. So I'll take her winning by decision. Um, the co-main, which really my main event, Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Michelle Pieria. Yes. Mikel Pieria. Um, all the flippy shit. Give me all the flippy shit. That's all I'm here for. I want this to look like Ricochet versus Will Ospreay. Oh, God. In, a, in, a, in an octagon. I want nothing but high spots in choreography. Uh, I don't even care who wins. Give me Ponzinibbio because he does a little less flippy shit. Yeah, I'm give me Ponzinibbio as well. I think Pereira is tough as hell, but I, I've always liked Ponzinibbio. At one point, I thought he'd be a title contender, but hasn't quite happened. But I think he beats Pereira in a really good, fun, and exciting fight. Maybe fight of the night. Yeah, shit else on here going to be as crazy as this. No. I mean, the Pereira nico Price fight was fun as hell last year. Yep. But, you know, Pereira lost to Diego Sanchez like three years ago, two years ago. <laughs> like, there, there's levels to this, right? Like, so he does some cool flippy shit, but I don't think he's on Ponce and Nibio's, uh wave. That's pretty much it for, like, this weekend. It's kind of like a, a chill weekend in the UFC, so nothing too crazy to talk about. And then we have an off weekend. Next week for Memorial Day. Next week, Dre, we're all pro wrestling, baby. Yes, we are. Well, no, well, Tuesday we have boxing. Yes, Tuesday we talk boxing. Mayweather, Tank, all yep. that good stuff. Um, recap Benavidez, which is happening this weekend. Yep. So, yeah, we do have a little, we got, okay, a boxing show. And then we got like three wrestling shows. Absolutely. So, <laughs> tons of wrestling all next weekend. Thank you to all the promotions uh, outside of Tank for taking the night off and letting us chill and really get into our pro wrestling bag. It worked out perfectly. It's here in Vegas. We're going to be everywhere. If you guys are in town, hit us up. In the meantime, though, make sure you guys follow us on social media at Corner Podcast underscore on Twitter, Corner Club for Life on Instagram. Check us out on YouTube, Corner Podcast. See videos, our faces. We'll be back in studio later this week. Thank you for bearing with us. I am now 34 years old, and all the tequila is out of my system. So I can be counted on, and I will be here all week. Shout out to producer Cole, baby, with the sweetest setup, making sure we're still good, even when we're not in the studio. Look at his guitars. One day, remotely, he's going to play us off air. He's just Ooh, Cole, Cole plays the hits. Oh, man. <laughs> just like 30 seconds, though, because we can't get the, the episode pulled. Uh, we don't. I, we don't I, have that. I, I, I play for tips. Please donate to uh, Venmo. Will be posted off the video. No, so just cash out. <laughs> yeah, Cole's gonna have a whole link tree, like an OnlyFans chick. Just <laughs> you can find Cole and donate at all these links. Uh, no, thank you to everyone. Shout out to Blue Eye of the Network. Everyone in the studio. Can't wait to get back later this week. You guys stay safe. Stay Rona free. That shit's popping up everywhere again now. So uh, let's let's be outside. Let's let's be responsible outside. 
while we're there, thank you. Any other things, comments about this show, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. Love to communicate with all you guys. Shout out to everyone who shows us love on social media. We appreciate all of you. Uh, as a sign off, shout out to my guy, Boom Bap Dad on IG, reaching out to us and listening. Always appreciate you. Everyone else in the corner club, you guys are amazing. Till next time, we're out. Peace.